by the Church Fathers as a week of crazy love. And, and the word and the term used by uh, the Church Fathers is manikos eros, which literally means maniacal, crazy, passionate love. The word eros has lost its beauty and its meaning in our modern understanding. But eros originally was, uh, it's that love that makes us forget ourselves entirely and run towards the other without any regard to ourselves. Eros is love's mad self-forgetting. And this whole week, this, this crazy love, this maddening love, this self-forgetting love, this love that makes us uh, forget ourselves completely and run towards the object of our love, we're seeing more and more throughout the week. The Lord is, is just ex expressing His crazy love for us. So today, I was, I was asking the Lord, and, and just, what's your heart? If we could ask God, what is your heart for us today, this Thursday? I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about what is God's heart for us? What is His, if He could just very openly and clearly tell us what He wants for us. And I was also thinking about the theme pa passage that Abuna John uh, set for this week. Uh, in Romans chapter 3, verse uh, 25 goes like this whom God has set as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because of his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed so I was thinking about his crazy love and I was thinking about his his how he is our Passover and I was thinking about if we could just hear from him what it is that he wants to tell us. And I started thinking about when the Lord was looking at the people of Israel, when they were in slavery, when they were in bondage. You know, we, we read these stories and we, we can flip to a page and, and we can kind of read what's going on. But those were real people. Those were people in a time and space. And this, these events really happened. And I, and I tried to think, how did God feel seeing his children in slavery like that? Then I, I was thinking about, you know, like his intention for us when he created Adam and Eve was for us to be in union with him, to be one with him. We were clothed in glory. We were, we were completely one and in harmony with God, in harmony with nature, in harmony with one another. And then he looks down several thousand years later and, and his children are in slavery. They're in bondage. Where did that slavery and that bondage come from? And it's interesting because we see that that slavery and that bondage is also a symbol of what happens to us when we are in sin. When we sin, we look just like the people of Israel in bondage to Pharaoh. And then he provides for the people of Israel, as, as Abuna taught us, this, this passing through and this pass over. So he provides for the people of Israel a, a methodology, a way, an actual physical way of their uh, uh, salvation. To be saved, to be passed over from the angel of death. And what they had to do was take the blood and put it on the, the, the doors and that action saved them. Now what we, because we live in, and we're bound by time and space, 
The only way we can think of and use like analogies is to think of, okay, something is in the past and I will model it in, in the present. I can model my present on something in the past. But with God, because he's outside of time and he's outside of space, he actually modeled the Passover lamb based on the Eucharist, based on himself. So it's not that the Eucharist was, uh, uh, you know, pointing to the Passover lamb. No, it's the Passover lamb that was modeled and based on the Eucharist. Communion. The physical manifestation of God's love for his people, telling them, sacrifice this lamb, put the blood, was pointing to something that's far more real. The Passover lamb in the Old Testament was a shadow of what really is happening. And just as we read the stories of the Old Testament, and just as we have this disconnect when we read and we forget that these are real people in real time, sometimes we do the same thing with the Eucharist. We forget the glory of what God's heart is towards us. This crazy, maniacal, passionate love for us. So when I ask the Lord, and I, I ask Him and say, what is your heart for us today? And we read today uh, John 17, uh, and I'm going to read a little passage that I really want to focus on tonight. He says in his prayer in John 17, this is the Lord speaking, this is Jesus speaking to his Father, and he says, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one, there he goes again, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved me and have loved them as you have loved me. Skip a few verses and he closes off by saying, and I have declared to them your name and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. What kind of love is that? He wants the oneness that's between the Father and the Son, He wants us to have that with each other. He wants the, the indwelling of the Father and the Son and the Son and the Father, He wants that for us. That He Himself, the Lord, would dwell inside of us and the Father would dwell inside of us. This is what He desires for us. Now this is all lovely as an idea, as a thought. But like I said, we are bound by time and space. And one thing that God does, and He does so well, is that everything He does, He takes it into time and space. He didn't save us from on high. No, He became human. He became flesh so that we might have life. He wants to save us like the Passover lamb. So what does he do? He gives us his body and his blood to eat, to consume flesh. He incarnates, becomes one with us. He wants us to become one in him, but it's not enough to say, hey, I want to become one with you. He works out his salvation in matter, in substance, 
in reality, in actuality, so that we have no excuse. When, when in, in John 13 he says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. What is that end? Well, we'll see it tomorrow on the cross. We'll see him pouring himself out completely on the cross, holding nothing back. But tonight, we also see him offering his own body and blood. Why? So that we can be saved from, from slavery, so that we can, like the Old Testament shadow, be freed from Pharaoh. Yeah, that's part of it. But that's not all of it. When the Lord gave them the Passover, He wanted them to leave Egypt so that they can go into the desert and dwell with Him there. So it is not just salvation that He is you know, saving us from destruction, but He wanted us to go into the promised land to be with Him. And when we are there, we shall be redeemed, transformed, restored to our original state of Adam and Eve and greater. So when he gives us the Eucharist, he's not saying, he's not just saying, hey, I want you to be free from sin. It's not just a Passover and salvation over sin that's being forgotten and remitted, but it's more than that. It is our restoration. How, Lord? How do you want to restore us? By me abiding in you and you abiding in me. In the Old Testament, the shadow was that they were going to be taken to a promised land, right? They were taken to Canaan, a promised land. In the new covenant, Jesus is our promised land. Jesus is our new home. He says, abide in me. But it doesn't end there. If that was it, what glory. But then he turns and he says, I want you to be my promised land. What, Lord? What? He says, I want you to abide in me. But I want to abide in you. And just as the Passover lamb was requ a required obedience, it was a required obedience. He told them, do this. It makes no sense. Take the blood, put it on the doors. All you have to do is obey. And you will be saved. And so he says, those who love me will keep my commandment and my Father and I will come and make our home in him. The Eucharist is not just redemption of sins. It is not some sort of, you know, transaction, debit card, now I'm free from sin. No, it's restoration. It's glory. He says in, in John 17, the glory that I had, I have given them. Lord, the glory that you have, you give us? Of course. How, Lord? How? Tell us how. I live in a body and I, I live in the flesh. How am I going to have your glory in actuality? Come. Come to the wedding banquet. I will give you my body so that you can eat it. Oh, that we would understand the glory of what it means to receive the Passover lamb, to make our Lord our promised land as he makes us his promised land. He makes us his home.
and He abides in us and we in Him. He loved us to the very end. Why, Lord? That we may be one. He breaks Himself. He makes Himself small. And He says, take, eat, this is my body. In the Old Testament, it was a lamb who was slain. Believe me, the people, I'm sure, when they saw a lamb who was completely innocent, slaughtered, I'm sure it tugged at their heart. I know I had a cat. Her name was Misty. I loved Misty. Misty was like the cutest cat in the world. She was more of a dog than a cat. She used to wake me up at 3 in the morning. Okay? She used to wake me up at 3 in the morning and bring me a ball. Cats don't do that. She brought me a and I would and I would wake up at three in the morning and go downstairs and I'd throw the ball for her and she'd run up and she'd get the ball and bring it back to me. Those are not normal cats, okay? Misty went a little crazy and we had to put her down. And I wept and I cried like a little kid. I just cried and I was in university. I cried and cried. Why? Because I loved Misty and she's so innocent and she died. In the Old Testament, the Lord asked for an innocent lamb to be slaughtered. Shadow. Shadow of the reality. The innocent lamb was pointing to the real lamb. The Lord breaks himself, makes himself small so that we can consume him. He is our promised land. He makes us his home. All this is to restore us. Now what's that restoration? Always, always it is to become like him. If he breaks himself, we must break ourselves. If he longs to be one with us, then we must long to be one with him. And even more, we must long to be one with one another. We must love one another. Why, Lord? That the world may see and believe that you sent me, O Father. The world will never believe that Jesus is God until we start wanting to become one with one another. Listen, if there's anyone that can stand apart make himself apart from us. If there's anyone in the universe that really has something to stand on to say, listen, I'm different than you. I'm different than you. Okay, so we're going to make a distance. It would be Jesus. The word holy, the word holy itself means, in Greek, comes from the word agios. Now, the word agios literally means, you've got two parts, the a and the gios. A means is the alpha privatum, which means it's the opposite. So like uh, pathetic and apathetic. That's a really bad example. Uh, typical and atypical, right? So the A is the opposite. It negates the second half. Agios. Gios means earth. So when we say agios, what are we saying? Out of this earth, unlike anything on this earth. So if, if there's anyone in the universe that can make a claim that he is apart from us, that he can make a distance between us and him. It is God, for he is holy. And yet his very movement and everything he does, his loving us to the very end is what? What is it? Wanting to become one with us. Who are we to make a distance between one another?
to say I don't really like this about this person. Pet peeves and differences and we just don't see eye to eye. You don't see eye to eye? You don't see eye to eye? God, who is holy and truly the only one worthy of being apart, chooses to become one with us. He invites us through the Eucharist to become one together. That is why it is impossible to celebrate the Eucharist. The only condition to come and receive the Eucharist is what? Reconciliation. Unlike most popular belief, even if you fast nine hours and you come before the Gospel but you are not reconciled with your brother, you cannot receive the Eucharist. The Lord says, first, leave your, your gift at the altar. Go be reconciled and then come back. Why, Lord? What's the greater vision? That we may become like Him. He loved us to the very end. His desire is for us to abide in Him and Him in us so that we may be restored. Now this, this I just, I, like I really, looking at this word abide and the abiding that we get through the Eucharist in flesh, physically, this abiding is kind of like, you know, camping out. It's that decision, I, I'm not going anywhere. I'm here with you. I'm done with wavering. I am yours. You are mine. You are my promised land. I don't want to go to heaven. I don't want to go to hell. But I don't want to go to heaven. I want to be in Him. That is heaven. All the extra stuff, the streets of gold, this and that, that's all wonderful. But if he's not there, I want nothing of it. You are mine and I am yours. May the rest of Holy Week be a chance to become aware of the heart of God. His desire to be in you. And his desire for you to be in him. May we stand at the foot of the cross and understand that crazy, mad love that he showed us by breaking himself, becoming small for us, that we may consume him in the Eucharist. And glory be to God forever. Amen.